Well, hey, if uh, there's a couple of new faces here today, so let me just make sure I uh, do some uh, uh, introduction. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Doug Hankins. I'm the young adult pastor here, and um, that means my span of care is anybody between college and mortgage. Okay, so does that sound about the room here? Some of you have mortgages, maybe. Um, maybe some of you are in college and you have mortgage, uh, uh, mortgages. That's uh, pretty awesome. Um, so uh, I take care of anybody who's in their, you know, 18 to kind of 30s range. And uh, let me just say on behalf of our entire staff and team, all our volunteers, team, serving teams that uh, went into putting this event together, we're just so thankful that you're here today as we kick off a five-week message series on loves, sex, dating, and marriage. And let me talk a little bit uh, about this. Um, so our, our series is going to tr- just really try to progress through the course of a relationship uh, in sequential order. And so today we're going to start kind of at the, the beginning of that as we think about love. And then by the very end, we're going to move to talking about engagement and marriage and some of those things over the next five weeks. Right smack dab in the middle of the series, we're going to have a legacy adult, young adult banquet in here. And if you're not from First Orlando, um, that's totally okay. We're glad you're here. Legacy adult means um, our senior adults. It's like our 70-year-olds and older crowd. And we thought it would just be really fun to get them together with all our young adults so they can learn who Drake is. We think that's appropriate, right? We just need to educate them. But so that they can come and talk to us. And the thing I've, I've tasked them with is, um, can you help us to understand what it's been like to be married for 40 or more years? I know I grew up in a family where people weren't married for more than 10 years. So I don't really have a lot of pictures of what it's like to be married for more than 40 years. And I, we have all these saints in our church who just love young people. And they're going to come. That's going to happen two weeks from today on February 13th. If you have a calendar, I want to encourage you uh, to note that. But around that banquet, we're going to take uh, four messages to really uh, hammer out this idea of love, sex, dating, and marriage. Now, let me just say this. There's a lot of us in the room... Um, and many of us are coming from uh, various different areas. So let me just speak to this, because sometimes when you talk about love and sex and dating and marriage, uh, it can be somewhat awkward. There's some of you who are in the room here today, um, and uh, you're you're maybe in a relationship, and it's going well, it's not going well, but you're kind of thinking some questions, either do I need to exit out of this, or do I need to keep going? And if that's you, and you're here today, and you're thinking this through, I just want to say welcome I think God's got something for you here today, and I think you're not here by accident. Maybe you're someone who's gone through a relationship and had a bad breakup, or maybe you're someone who's gone through divorce and you're here today, and I just want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here and you've chosen to join us on this journey. Maybe you're single and you want to start dating, and you're here because you're hoping I'll give you the formula that will work, right? Um, and I will, just not till next week. So you just got to sit through this week, buy the timeshare, and then next week we can talk about the formula for today. No, I'm just kidding. There's no timeshare. But no, we'll, we'll handle that next week. If you're here and you're single today, welcome. Really glad that you're with us. Maybe you're somewhere else on that spectrum. Maybe you're confused. Maybe your life Facebook status is it's complicated. That's totally okay. Hey, wherever you are today, I want to say this. It's not a mistake that you're here. I think God has something for you, and we're so glad you're with us on this five-week journey. Well, as we jump in, um, as you guys noted, the, uh, the, the title of our sermon or message series is Love Songs. And the idea behind it is that we chose uh, 
a number of love songs that were going to frame the way that we did the sermon series. We're going to let these love, love songs drive everything. And the love song we have set up for today, and I'm not sure if we played the video. Did we play the video? Okay, can we play this video? So this is, um, we, we just shot some footage. This is actually our friends Maddie and Will. And it's like they're going back into the 90s where they're exchanging a CD uh, of their favorite love song. And here's our love song that we're uh, letting be our jump off, jumping off point for today. Go ahead and roll this. What is love? Just, just a little, uh, I just need to be real honest with you. So I'm 36, and so that was like, that was me. I was definitely giving my wife a love song a playlist on a CD when we were in college because I'm a child of the 90s. I'm an, I know, I'm an old suburban dad. That's how that happens. But hey, so this is a song called uh, What is Love by the British artist Hadaway. You may know this song from this film called The Night at the Roxbury. Anybody Night at the Roxbury fans? Will Ferrell, Chris Kattan movie? Okay, there's three of you. Okay, awesome. This is the one where the guys are like doing this thing right here. So just go Google search that later and you can see that song. Um, but what the song basically addresses, it sets up this interesting question. What is love? And the idea, the pain in the song behind that question is that this guy wants to know because so much of his relationships have caused him a pain and, and heartbreak. And it's, it's pushed him to this place where he's disillusioned. And he's asking, really, what is love anyway? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to keep going? What is love? I don't know if you've thought of that question uh, as you've tried to jump into your dating relationships in the past. Have you ever considered what love is and what you're talking about? I think it's incredibly helpful to define the term love before you jump into love relationships so that you have a clear grounding and order that can color everything in that. And so my goal today is just to simply answer the question that Hadaway asks, what is love? And I think Jesus has a really good answer for us here that we're going to look at a little bit. But to set this, uh, set this in motion and set this up a little bit more, uh, I want to start philosophically here. Um, there's this, uh, there's this philosophical experiment, a mental experiment. I want to invite you on this, and it's called the alien theory, okay? And the alien theory says this. Suppose an alien from another planet, another galaxy, decides to come into the Milky Way, comes to Earth, and uh, is trying to understand the human language. In particular, for our purposes, it's English, right? And so this alien comes, there's a group of aliens, they start going to language school, and each week they take one English term and they try to understand it based on how humans practice that term in their speech. And let's suppose on you know, such and such a week, these aliens get to the term love. And so they say, okay, love, we want to understand what love is. And so they go out into the streets and they're just pulling all of these Americans on how they use the term love. And the first thing that they come to is a human being who says this, you know what, you know what I love? I love my smartphone. I have the new uh, Apple such and such, or I have the new whatever Android version. It's, I love my smartphone. If you're the alien, you're, you're going to understand that to be love is some type of high value and some type of uh, material object. That's what it means to love something. Okay, so they write that down in the book. Well, another alien comes back and they hear someone say this, I love my job, right? I love my job, love my career, 
or I don't love my job, I don't love my career. Now they're going, okay, well, let's clarify, let's nuance this definition. So love can be some kind of high expectation and value system placed on a material object, or it can be some type of expectation or value system placed on an invisible uh, object or uh, an invisible pathway or an invisible experience. Okay, I think I understand what love is. Then the next uh, alien comes back to the group and uh, hears someone say, you know what, I love my parents. Now they're going, okay, wait a second. So love is something that can be applied to a smartphone. It's something that can be applied to a career. And it's something that can describe a familial relationship. Okay, so this term is kind of broad in its meaning. It's kind of generic, right? And so they're like, okay. Then the next alien comes back and says this. I heard a human being say, I made love to my significant other last night. And they go, okay, so um, smartphone, career, parents, significant other? Like, what's going on here? Is this love thing like a cult terminology? I don't know. What's like, they're very confused by this point, as I think most of us would be. And finally, the fifth one comes back and says this. It's something I, I would imagine most of us in this room have said at one time, and we were lying, and it's this. I love Taco Bell, right? <laughs> I love Taco Bell, which let's be honest, here's how that plays out. It's Saturday night, I love Taco Bell. I just got three tacos. I know it's grade D, but edible meat. I don't wanna know where the meat comes from. It's great right now, I love it. Saturday night, Sunday morning, I hate Taco Bell, right? It's never good in the morning, right? And these aliens are looking at this, smartphone, career, parents, making love with a significant other, and Taco Bell. Like, you can understand that aliens would be very confused by our culture at how we use this term love. And I think what it indicates for us is that as American speakers in particular, and our Portuguese speaking and Latin American, Spanish speaking friends in the room, uh, I think, and maybe some of our you know, Haitian and other brethren and sisters here in the room could attest to this in their own parlance, right? The term love is a malleable term onto which we place multiple meanings right? Most of us, when we, see, we can stretch love to apply to so many different things, it almost loses all of its meaning. And so I come back to this original question, what is love? If we're going to move forward in a dating relationship, in marriage, what is love in the first place? And the interesting thing is, in the Christian Bible, Jesus presents this really unique definition of love that's incredibly helpful for us, and it's going to be incredibly helpful for us as we move forward. So I want to invite you to look on your bulletins if you have them. Uh, it's listed right there. May the odds be ever in your favor. Yeah. So as you look in your bulletins, it's printed there. And I'm going to read here from the English Standard Version. This is what Jesus says about love. It's one that maybe you've heard culturally uh, in America. It's John 3, verse 16. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. A couple of interesting things to note about this. What Jesus is doing here is he's trying to, to um, articulate a definition of love 
And in doing so, what he's doing is saying, I'm not going to start in the human world, say, let me define love based on how humans experience it. I'm actually going to start in the supernatural. I'm going to break through the, the ethereal plane and go up here into the realm of ideas, into the realm of the perfect, and I'm going to pull down my definition of love from way up here in heaven and bring it down to earth and help you to understand what love is. And here's what love is. God loves God is the definition of love. God gives us the ultimate defining uh, understanding of love for human experience. In other words, if we want to know what love is, we've got to start with how God defines love. And Jesus tips us off as to how God defines love. He defines it with that word gave. Like gave up is maybe a better term. Like the love we should understand is a love that gives of itself. It gives up. It submits it sacrifices, it doesn't consider itself. The kind of love that is the ideal, perfect, establishing type of love is a love that comes from God and it's a give up type of love. Now, let me, let me be really clear here. Some of you are hearing this and you're going, um, uh, I've been in relationships before where I wanted to give up, right? I understand that kind of love, pass. And I wanna be very clear, it's not that kind of love, right? It's not that. When I mean give up, what I mean is it's, it's something that says this, I'm giving up what I consider to be most important. And the way I'm going to demonstrate myself to you is that I'm going to consider the other more important than who I am. It's not that I don't consider myself important. I'm saying we are both important, but I'm going to give up the right to have my preference first in all things. And instead, I'm going to choose to serve you with everything I'm being. It's a, it's a giving up self, submissive sacrificial type of love. And God says, this is the type of love that Christians in particular are meant to um, live out among one another at all times. This is how everybody in the Christian community is supposed to act. This is the ideal for humanity, such that when all human beings uh, act in, in accordance and think in accordance with this way of love, it's going to demonstrate the most perfect community that can uh, possibly be on the earth. It's this kind of love. Now, it's really interesting, the word love that Jesus chooses to use there. I don't know if you've ever been to a church service before or you've heard other Christians talk about this, but in the language of his day, Jesus had about three different options for the word love that he could have used there, right? And they're on your screen. There's three different kind of options. Number one, it's agape love. Number two, it's phileo love. And number three, it's eros love. Let me start with the second one. Phileo love is brotherly love. Um, if you guys, you know, there's a Super Bowl that's happening on Sunday between the New England Patriots and the, thank you, Haley. I knew that was Haley, wherever you are, right? Patriots, Tom Brady, super fan right there. Um, or the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Okay, right, America's team, there we go. For one week, America's team for one week, the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Philadelphia, city of... Brotherly love, because it comes from phileo, phileo Adelphia, right? Adelphia, city of, phileo, brotherly love. The word phileo means brotherly love. Um, now, that may not mean anything to you guys, especially if you've seen Philadelphia fans in the parking lot after games, right? You're like, ah, I've seen that brotherly love. I had that brotherly love. No, thank you, right? Again, I'll give up on that kind of love. Um, but phileo, uh, uh, maybe you, you can think about this. Phileo means like, the Friends TV show. Okay, anybody watch Friends on Netflix? Okay, all right. I love it when Christians aren't afraid to admit their Netflix habits. They're like, yeah, I watch Friends and I love Jesus. Thanks, okay. No judgment, please, friends. 
Now, you guys know the last episode of Friends where they all turn in their keys and they're having, see, oh, yeah, you do. They're having the moment. They're like, we've been together all these years. We've been clapping to that Rembrandt song forever, right? Like, we've all kind of, you know, been in each other's lives. It's that moment. And there's, you know, there's just all the feels that are happening. It's like, this is us happens for them right there in that moment, right? So this is the kind of thing that phileo is trying to describe. It's a brotherly kind of love. It's a community kind of love that, that, that brings everybody together, right? It's friend's love. That's phileo. And Jesus could use that when he described God's ideal for love and bringing that down. But he didn't. Another option Jesus had was the term eros, eros love. Eros is the Greek word where we get the term erotic, right? And so eros love is sexual, romance, passion love, right? It's, uh, it's, you would say a husband would maybe, you know, have this for his wife. Or if you want a really good picture, I was talking to our staff today. This is the picture I think I would give. I want you to imagine with me. A 22-year-old man who is uh, at his wedding, he goes to the wedding ceremony, ring is on the finger, right? He goes into the uh, wedding rehearsal or uh, reception area, right? He's greeting everybody. They do the first dance. They eat the cake. They eat the food. He's been in his reception for maybe three hours, and it's, it's hit the point where he thought maybe we would be done by now, right? Because he has other items on the agenda, right, if you catch my drift. And this guy has never looked at pornography. He's never been with anybody else. He's just like, he's a virgin. This is his night. He had the true love weights ring. Like he's been building his entire life for this moment here. And he looks at his bride and she goes, yeah, I think it's going another hour. And he's just like, okay, forcing a smile, looking at her. People are coming up, grandmas are coming to thank him. And he's like, I don't wanna be here, right? You know what that guy's thinking in his mind the whole time? I don't care how godly he is. He's thinking this, I want to do it, right? That's what he's thinking. He's like, I want to leave here and have sex with my wife. All he has playing, his love song is Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On, on repeat, right? And he's, he's trying so hard to just be like grinning, so happy we're at this reception and it's 1130, like, oh, like, uh, right? This this feeling he has, the burning that's going through his collar, the, the just kind of overheated, the kind of eyes widening. Uh, this is eros love, right? And this is a term that Jesus could have used, but he didn't. He didn't use phileo, he didn't use eros. The term Jesus used was agape. This is the first term. God, agape the world. He loves the world. And agape is a really interesting type of love, and it means this. It means it's a giving love or a giving up love. It's the highest form of love. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is that um, agape love, it is the love that, that starts in the ideal. It's the purest, most perfect form of love. You take uh, whatever human form of love, the per best person you've ever seen love someone else, and you say, it's not, just the, it's not just the amplification of that kind of love. It's the perfection of that kind of love, right? It's, it's, not, it's not just it's a lot louder. It's, it's the best possible version, right? It is the highest ideal. And so when Jesus is saying this, he's saying God loves the world in the most perfect, ideal, self-sacrificing, giving up 
kind of way. And we see this to be true because he loves the world so much that he decides to give up his one and only son that people who believe in him in exchange, in that loving exchange, they get this everlasting kind of life. And because this is the highest form of love, uh, Jesus is basically saying this. It's really interesting. Paul will later, the Apostle Paul will later in Ephesians 5 go into this. But he's saying uh, this. The thing about uh, agape love is that if you understand it, um, and if you make it the, the, the hallmark of your life, it actually enhances and completes uh, and perfects uh, all other forms of love. Um, uh, let me give you an example of this. Agape love is the, is the love that redeems and completes all other kind of love. That's the kind of love it is. And so my example of this is avocado. Anybody in here like avocado? Okay. How many of you guys are from Texas? Anybody from Texas here? Okay. Like avocado is super hipster right now. Like you guys have noticed this. There's like avocado toast, avocado ice cream. Really? Ooh. Okay. That's, okay. That's very interesting. There's avocado smoothies. There's like avocado bubble gum. There's like all this avocado stuff. Like avocado is the most hipster, Brooklyn-y kind of thing going on right now. If you're in the Whole30 or vegan or third degree vegan, which is mean you don't eat anything that casts a shadow, like whatever you're in, right? Avocado is your jam. That's how you roll. The funny thing is Texans are just looking at the world being like, we've been eating avocado this whole time. It's called guacamole, right? Like it's been at every meal, okay? Since we were born. Like there was breast milk and avocado growing up. That's how we operated, right? From birth. Well, the funny thing about avocados, it's getting in all the other stuff, right? If you don't like avocado, you kind of get to the grocery store and you find yourself limited. You're like, oh my gosh. It's like, okay, I just want some tortilla chips. Tortilla chips now flavored with avocado. You're like, oh man, can I just get some like normal flavored tortilla chips? Can it be flavored with salt, right? Like that's all I want, okay? You go to get milk and it's like, okay, we have milk and we have avocado milk. You're like, how do they extract milk from avocado? They're like, we have research scientists into it, right? We've done it. That's what we do, right? So there's this avocados getting into all the stuff. Avocados, the new cranberry. You remember that? Cranberry, just like in the mid-2000s, got into all the other stuff. It was like cran apple juice. It was cran banana juice. It was like cran bread. It was like double cranberry bread. You're like, oh my gosh, cranberry's getting in all the other stuff. So these products, these kind of trendy things, they make their way, they seep into all parts of society and our dietary process. Well, for Jesus, this is agape love. The highest ideal form of love here, the way he defines love, is it's the kind of love that seeps into all other portions of love. If you get agape love, if you set your course towards agape love, it's going to take your friendship and it's going to turn it into an amazing community. It's going to take phileo. It's going to turn it into the most amazing community that you could ever experience. If you get agape love, it's going to take your eros and turn it into the most amazing romantic passion you've ever experienced. If we get agape love, we get all other types of love. And so I think it's important for us to really hammer down on what agape love is and what it means for our life so that we can live it in everything we do so that God in his mercy might make it enhance and flavor every other aspect of our life and the way that we love, the way we love our family, the way we love our significant others, the way we love our friends, the way we love everybody. And so let me just give you a few more kind of things to think about relative to this idea of agape love. More precisely, the way you can think about it is it's a series of priorities that you make towards people in a sequential order. Agape love is a series of priorities that you make 
towards other people in a sequential order. And here's the sequence, the way agape love works. Number one, first, it's a worldview, okay? Or it's, um, I don't know what's on your sheet, it's a perspective. It's a perspective or it's a worldview. Then secondly, after it becomes a perspective, it becomes actions, okay? You think it and then you begin to do that. That's a different do it, but you get to do that in terms of its love. And then third, it's a feeling. It's a perspective which flows into your actions, which flows into your feelings. So the way to think about this, and this is actually crazy, uh, or maybe crazy for you here if you think about it. The, the best example of what agape love is practically played out at a corporate level is this thing called arranged marriage. Have you guys ever heard of arranged marriage or any of you guys have friends who did arranged marriage? Anybody with parents who came from arranged marriage and had a positive experience? Negative people, this isn't gonna help my point, so don't raise your hand. So anybody, anybody arranged marriage? So I've got neighbors who are from India and uh, they are part of an arranged marriage. Uh, I've got a couple of different friends whose parents came from arranged marriages. Arranged marriages happen in cultures, maybe better than 50% of the cultures in the globe. Um, and the interesting thing is arranged marriages have a 90% success rate. And even when you extract all the arranged marriages that have like abuse and domestic violence issues, it's still like a 75% success rate. And so social scientists have been trying to figure out why arranged marriages work so well in all these different customs and all these cultures all over the world. And you know what the, the, the answer is that they found? It's that arranged marriages actually practice something like agape love. If you listen to any 65-year-old, 70-year-old uh, Indian couple who has an arranged marriage, and you say, tell me about how your marriage works. Uh, just give me the history of it. Most of them will, will follow this progression here. They'll say this. Our families got together, and they decided we were going to get married. They said she had really good character, he had really good character, and they thought we would be a good fit for each other. So they got us together at a dinner. We met each other. We agreed that we were going to get married, Right? You talk about the like most intense first date ever. It's like, hi, nice to meet you, honey, right? That's your name, right? Spouse, okay, cool. What's your, what's your current last name? Okay, well, it's gonna be my last name. So let's just get that out. That's the, the first boundary we're gonna set. So, right, it's just a super intense thing. And so they go from there into this intentional courtship process for about six months, maybe a year, but generally about six months. Uh, and then they kind of just go, hey, you know, we're, we're gonna do this, right? We're gonna get married and have to start having kids like really quickly because that's how arranged marriages roll, right? And so in about six months, you've gotta kind of come to terms with what's about to happen. And when you think about that courtship process, that seems really crazy to me, right? I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to operate within that. But the, the reason it works is because they start off with the perspective. Hey, we're going to get married. This is gonna happen. And so we're both going to agree to serve one another in this courtship towards the process of a wedding day. And on this wedding day, we may not really be ready to get married, but we're going to go ahead and agree to practice loving each other for the rest of our lives. It's just a commitment we make mentally up front. We're just saying this is how it's going to be. Divorce is not an option. We're just moving together. We're going to have a happy family. We'll figure everything else out later. We'll figure it out together, Right? Millennials sometimes get it backwards. I'm a millennial. You guys may be millennials. Millennials say, let's figure out life and then get married. When it comes to arranged marriage and courtship, they get married and then they figure everything else out after the fact. But it's a perspective up front. And so then what they'll say is this. Okay, we got married. We started having kids, which you can imagine. That just seems to me like, I don't know how that operates. Like that just seems, I don't know. It just seems like there needs to be a lot of like 
alcohol or something in that culture to help that process. I don't know. I ask my friends about this all the time. I'm like, wait, you guys didn't know each other and you just started having kids? They're like, yes. I'm like, I don't know how that works, right? That just, I, no. Like there's no movie where like their love story was they had an arranged marriage and then they had kids. Yay, right? It just, that just seems uh, a little weird. But hey, it works, right? And so you go from the perspective now to the action. We are a married couple. We're having kids. We have a joint bank account. We're married. We go to things together. We plan our lives together. We have a shared calendar in the iCloud somewhere where we agree on things together, right? And then when you ask them, uh, when, they, when they get to talking about it, typically within you know, the first three to five years, they'll say something like this happened. And you know, along the way, we began to develop an affection for one another. Like, without fail. Hey, you know, like, when did you tell your wife you loved her? Well, I told her I loved her on my wedding day, but I really meant it like two years in because we developed this friendship that turned into an affection. And now, 50 years into our marriage, I could not have been more happy with the choice that my parents made for me. That seems so crazy to me and so backwards to the way that everything I've been taught how relationships work. But guess what? When, when God says, I love the world and he gives us this agape kind of love, that arrangement actually moves a lot closer to this agape thing. It's a perspective followed by an action that may or may not, but probably has feelings that pop up way after the fact. In America, it doesn't work this way, Okay. And I've mentioned this, and I can think of no better example of how this doesn't work, uh, no better of a lie about uh, relationships, and you guys all know this, than Beauty and the Beast, right? Now, I'm not talking about the Disney version. It gets redeemed in Disney. I'm talking about like the original Beauty and the Beast tale. I have, I have the original Beauty and the Beast story, and I read it to my daughter at night. And this is basically how it goes uh, with, without all of like the cool community aspect that Disney added in. So that, because here's the thing. If you really read the, the story or watched the movie of Beauty and the Beast without like the Mrs. Teapot and the candle who sings Be Our Guest, you'd be like, this is a terrible picture of a marriage, right? This is like a horrible dating experience. Um, Here's basically how this story goes, right? There's this guy who's a jerk, right? If he was on New Girl, he'd be putting money in the jar all the time, right? <laughs> He's just a terrible human being. And so as a punishment for that, um, some like magic person turns him into a beast, which is basically who he's been on the inside, now on the outside. And he's just like a beast to everybody and he's really mean and like just kind of a jerk. He probably, you know, beats people up and like snarls at people. There's like verbal abuse and physical abuse that's going on. And then this girl gets kind of trapped at his house because he traps her there, right? He's like, you're gonna be my prisoner. And she's like, I don't wanna be your prisoner. And he's like, too bad, I'm gonna kill your father. Not a great start to a relationship, right? And so he's like a prisoner in her house, or in his house. She's a prisoner in his house. And eventually she like, she like uh, does some nice things for him. And what happens? He begins to develop feelings for her, right? He starts at number three. And once he develops feelings for her, he starts to adjust his behavior towards her. He's like nice now. And he's, you know, goes on walks with her and all these things. And he adjusts his behavior just long enough for her to go, hmm, maybe I've... Um, Maybe I need to reconsider this guy, right? I mean, I know it's basically bestiality, but I mean, I don't have any other options in this prison here. Maybe I should just move towards that, right? And while I don't bring up bestiality when I'm reading this to my five-year-old daughter, I do point out that this is probably not the best way to start a relationship. Anyway, so if you forward, uh, move forward in the story, she basically gets to this point where she's like, 
um, oh, hey, I guess I'll marry the beast because he's changed all of his behavior based on his feelings for me. And then she, you know, she tells him she loves him and then he magically transforms back into the prince. Hey, who was that prince? He was a jerk, right? So he turns from the beast back into the jerk prince and they get married and they live happily ever after. If this was a reality TV series, all of you guys would just be like, mm-mm, girl, mm-mm, no. You give that rose back. There is, mm, no, no, because the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And this guy, for 70 pages in the book, was a jerk. He got feelings for you and he adjusted his behavior in the short term so you guys could get married. Yeah, we know how that all works out in marriages, right? You meet the husband, right? His backstory is he was just this brutish, maybe football player, maybe soccer player in high school, just kind of a jerk, had his way with all the women, gets to college, meets a girl, and he's like, oh, she wants to play hard to get, so he cleans up his behavior. You know, I'm basically describing the premise to Greece, too. I don't want to spoil anything for you guys, but let's be honest, this is what happened. Anyway, so he cleans up his behavior just for a little bit till they get married and they have a great wedding. And then within like two years of being married, guess what? He's gone back to being a jerk again, but now they're married and she's a Christian. So she believes, hey, I can't get divorced from this guy because I got married and he's abusive and he's a jerk to her. And now she's going to the pastors and different people in her church for counseling because she goes, I don't know what to do. He changed his behavior for a little while. I don't know why he reverted back to his past behavior. And this is a story that goes on over and over and over again in our culture. And guess what? Some of you grew up in homes that were that way. Guess what? I grew up in a home where that was that way. What happened? They got the order reversed. You started with the feelings. Feelings motivated you towards temporary action. You never, ever dealt with the perspective. It's the wrong definition of love. The way Jesus wants us to love one another, the way Jesus wants us to define love and move forward is this. I know it's hard, but make it a perspective change first. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That will move towards your actions because your actions follow the way that you think about things. Belief is your actions. You repent first of your thinking. Your belief follows in its actions. And then probably, just maybe, some feelings might, some affections might pop up along the way. This is, by the way, the template for dating that we're going to talk about next week, okay? We're going to go into a little bit more depth on what this might look like. What I don't want you guys to know right now is Doug is not going to come out in favor of arranged marriage next week, right? This is not I kiss dating goodbye thing and everybody's just kind of partnering up like, okay, how tall are you? Yeah, that's fine. Let's go, right? How's your character? So-so. My character so-so too. Perfect. We're equally yoked. Let's go, right? That's not happening next week. Just spoiler alert. But this is the way of agape love. In any dating relationship, any marriage relationship that's based in agape love, it really wants to let that agape love seep into every area of their life to enhance their friendship and to enhance their romance. That marriage is going to be the marriage that's rooted in what God wants. I want to leave you guys with uh, just, a, just a poignant example of what this is. I was, uh, on Sunday night, I was, just, I was asleep and God woke me up and he said, Doug, here's what I want you to do on Tuesday. I want you to treat this crowd like your kids and I want you to read them this book. Because this book is one of the best pictures of agape love being demonstrated. And I think we probably all at some point have come across the page of this book. And I'm just warning you now, I might cry. No, I'm probably going to cry when I read this. But this is a book called I Love You Forever. 
Yeah, get your Kleenex out now. So I'm going to show it on the screen here so you can see it, and we're doing story time with Doug here. I'm going to try to read this. I might make some commentary to help break the tension here, but I want, you to, I want you to dial in. I want you to remember back to the first time someone read you this book and what it felt like for you to understand this love at an intellectual, at an action, at a feeling level, because it's a beautiful picture of agape love. Here it goes. We'll turn the page here. A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she held him, she sang, I love you forever, I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The baby grew, he grew and grew and grew. He grew until he was two years old and he ran all around the house, he pulled all the books off the shelves, pulled all the food out of the refrigerator. And he took his mother's watch and flushed it down the toilet. Sometimes his mother would say, this kid is driving me crazy, which is what every parent says all the time. But at nighttime, when that two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of his bed, and if he was really asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as you're living, my baby you'll be, or as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The little boy grew, and he grew, and he grew, and he grew. He grew until he was nine years old. And he never wanted to come in for dinner. He never wanted to take a bath. And when grandma visited, he always said bad words. Sometimes his mother wanted to sell him to the zoo. <laughs> but at nighttime, when he was asleep, the mother quietly opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, and looked up over the side of his bed. If he was really asleep, she picked up that nine-year-old boy and rocked him back and forth and back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I love you forever. I like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The boy grew. He grew and he grew. He grew until he was a teenager. He had strange friends and he wore strange clothes, which apparently is like a Rick Warren shirt with skinny jeans that are cuffed and loafers. I, I don't know what this is. Sometimes uh, his mother felt like she was in a zoo, but at night, when the teenager was asleep, the mother opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, and looked up over the side of the bed. If he really was asleep, she picked up that great big boy and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The teenager grew. He grew and he grew. He grew until he was a grown-up man. He left home. And he got a house across town. But sometimes on dark nights, the mother got into her car and drove across town. If all the lights in her son's house were out, she opened his bedroom window, crawled across the floor, and looked up over the side of the bed. If that great big man was really asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Let me just mention, boundaries, right? <laughs> We're all thinking this, right? Like, mom, there's a line right here, and you just went, hey, right? That, that boundary was called a window in a second story, mom, okay? You're, uh, you're 60 years old, that's a ladder. You should have maybe thought this through a little bit. 
While she rocked him, she sang, I love you forever, I like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. Well, that mother, she got older. She got older and older, and one day she called up to her son and said, you better come see me because I'm very old and I'm sick. So her son came to see her, and when he came to the door, she tried to sing the song. She sang, I love you forever, and I'll like you for always. But she couldn't finish because she was too old and sick. The son went to his mother, and he picked her up, and he rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he sang this song. This is the part where I snot, so excuse me. We've all been there, right? We're just going to go ahead and wipe and just, it's cool. <laughs> I love you forever. I like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mommy will be. When the son came home that night, he stood for a long time at the top of the stairs. Then he went into the room where his very new baby daughter was sleeping. And he picked her up in his arms and very slowly rocked her back and forth back and forth, back and forth. And while he rocked her, he sang, I love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Guys, here's the reason I think God wanted me to read that story over all y'all. It's just my children who are here today. I want you to know that the kind of love that God has for every one of you is that kind of love. God loves you forever. And he likes you for always. And as long as he is I am, which is forever, by the way, you will be his children. We learn to love, First John says, not because we look at the world and figure out what loving Taco Bell and loving our smartphone means for our dating relationships. We learn to love by looking first to God who says, I love you with this giving myself up, sacrificial, submissive, perfect, ideal kind of love. And when we tap into that, when we learn to set our course perspective on that kind of love, it gets into all the other areas of our life. It transforms our friendships. It transforms our sexuality. It transforms everything to the point where we begin to love like Jesus loved. And when that happens, when that happens, we become like the son who receives the love from the mom and passes it on to his own child. May we be the kind of people who demonstrate that kind of love. I want to invite you to stand with me if you're able, and we're going to sing this song here that carries on the, the theme. This is a song by Corey Asbury called Reckless Love. Maybe you've heard it. I want to encourage you to sing along if you know it. Maybe uh, as we sing the song, you just need to respond to things. You need to sit there, pray. That's totally fine. I want to invite you, however you need to respond, to respond. I will be right over here. If, uh, and some of our staff will be up here. They'll have lanyards on. If you need prayer, if there's something God's doing in your heart today, maybe you don't know Jesus and you want to come talk to somebody, we'll be here right now. And afterwards, many of us will be in the tent right outside with the lights on. We'd love to talk to you about that. However you need to respond, we'll invite you to respond to this song.